Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went down to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother, and fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. I wonder how many of you have seen this in the news recently. Uh, It's not new in some respects, the post office scandal. It's been going on for a long time. Uh, But recently, ITV made a documentary, uh, like a four-part miniseries, and uh, it's come back into the forefront, back into the headlines. Um, And what we've seen, what this story is, I wasn't aware of it, what we've seen is that seven, eight, nine hundred postmasters and postmistresses have been wrongly accused for something they didn't do. Um, there was this kind of idea that the, there was money missing and they were prosecuted for it. Um, some went to prison, some had to sell their houses. Uh, and people, these, these people, their lives were completely shut down. And the, the, the terrible truth is that what actually happened was not that these eight, 900 people had done anything wrong at all, but more of the fact that there was a software issue that just did the maths wrong and these people were completely um, screwed, really. And even worse than that, it's not only these people losing their lives, um, you know, going to prison and all that. Um, the people in power who knew something about it, and they knew the mistake, they did nothing about it. Which is crazy. It's horrible that there were people in power who knew that there were people sitting in prison for something they didn't do and those people did nothing about it. Uh, and this, this ITV series has brought it back. Um, and people are furious about it. Um, and rightly so for injustice in the world. And, and also beyond that, we just feel so sorry for these people. Uh, 15 years, some of them have been suffering for something they did nothing, uh, did nothing wrong. So often, we see in this world and in this country that the people in power who have the power to do what is right and to help people don't do it out of selfish gain. And they refuse to sacrifice their own careers and do the right thing and help those in need. And those who want to help and those who want to do what's right don't have the power to do it. It's a dynamic that's difficult and is heartbreaking for everyone in this world. There is good news this morning. There is someone who has the compassion to help those in need and the power to do something about it. And that person is Jesus. Dane Ortland says this, if compassion, 
clothed itself in a human body and went walking around this earth, what would it look like? He says, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder. So the story, two key characters in here, Jesus and this widow. Uh, If we think we're going through Luke chapter seven, Luke chapter eight, and just before this, Jesus has healed this centurion servant. We keep getting described in the gospel that there's this crowd with him, this hype around him, this excitement building because of him. And Jesus for us, it was last week we heard the story of the centurion. Uh, in this case, it's this is the day afterwards. So the next day he's in Nain. And what we saw in the centurion, just to recap, is we see what Jesus loves to see in our hearts. Jesus identifies what he loves to see in our hearts, which was faith. That's the, that's the bit at the end. He says, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. This week, we're not seeing what Jesus wants to see in our hearts. We're seeing what is in Jesus, his own heart. We're seeing what is in his heart. This is a hugely significant thing. What do you think Jesus's heart is like? A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us the most important thing about us. And this morning, we get to see what is in the very heart of God in Christ. The second character is this widow. Uh, Similar to these postal workers, her life has completely collapsed. In those days, there's a social aspect that she was a widow, so she didn't have a husband to care for her. And she, and then her son has died. Her only son has died. So she doesn't have a son to care for her. So in those days, like women in, in that time were in big, big, big trouble. And you can see that because the amount of people in the town who come out to support her in this kind of funeral procession. But beyond just like the social aspect of her life crumbling, you've also got just this emotional aspect of a woman in this tiny little town in North Israel whose husband's died and she's just lost her son and she's alone. There's no one, there's no family, she's alone. And she's standing in, this, in front of this coffin. They, they, they have this long procession and she's walking her son to be buried next to her husband in the grave. If you put yourself in her shoes for a second, that is a hopeless woman, a hopeless woman. And so what do we see? We see the compassion of Jesus. It's interesting, unlike last week with the centurion, the centurion seeks out Jesus and he says, he sends people to Jesus, says, please come um, and all this kind of stuff. In this situation, the woman doesn't say, the woman doesn't say anything in the whole passage. And it's almost like, I'm going to say coincidence because I don't think with God there is any coincidences, but Jesus is just rocking up to this town with this massive group of people and out she comes of the gate of the town with a massive crowd of people from that town and they just kind of collide head on. It's unrequested. The woman didn't say anything. And Jesus, it's worth asking the question, why does he bother her? I don't know how many of us would see a funeral procession and a widow weeping and think, I'm going to go and interrupt that situation. I don't know how many funerals you've been to, but it's not often that in the middle of the funeral, you walk up to the grieving family and say something to them. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. 
he walks up to her and Jesus initiates it. And I've been so challenged this week. Um, Last week we saw, right, that Jesus healed because of faith. And the centurion says, you know, I'm a man under authority and you you have the authority to heal and Jesus does it. He's impressed by faith. This woman like doesn't do anything. She doesn't request it. She doesn't show anything. She's just in some ways minding her own business. And this is something that has challenged me is that Christ's heart of compassion is deeper than just helping those who ask for it. It's deeper. And there's a there's a there's an idea in Christianity of this idea of common grace, that God gives grace to all. You know, he's given us life, whether you believe him believe in him or not. And we see these two sentences that I'm going to read two different translations. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And then, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. I really want to focus on that phrase. His heart went out to her or he had compassion on her. Uh, I'm going to do what's called a little bit of a word study. I'm going to teach you the Greek word for compassion. I'm going to read you a definition. Uh, The Greek word, is, I've practiced this all week, and um, which is often rendered, and not practiced enough evidently, uh, which is often rendered as to have compassion. Uh, but the word denotes more than passing pity. It refers to a depth of feeling in which your feelings and longings churn within you. The noun form of this verb means most literally one's guts or intestines. We see here what is driving Christ's heart, what his instinct is, what his deepest heart and desire is. It's compassion. It's compassion. That is who Jesus is, the God of all compassion. There's something to be said that if we're all in situations, we all go through difficulties. Some of us are in particularly difficult situations at the moment. Jesus sees you. He knows you. His heart goes out to you and he has compassion for you. I say that on the authority of God's word, that he does not turn his face from you. He will not. He cannot because his deepest heart is to help those he loves. He sees this woman, a nobody from a nowhere town, and his deepest heart is to go to her immediately and help. And it is the same for you. It is the same for you. He goes up to her and he says, don't cry or do not weep. First time I read that, I thought that sounded very insensitive. Uh, I think crying is a very natural thing to do when you are mourning. And we know it's not wrong because Jesus himself cries when his friend dies. So he's not telling her, do not weep because she's doing something wrong. So why would he say to her, do not weep, do not cry? The reason is, is that Christ has power. He has the power of his word, resurrection power. 
He says, do not weep to her before he does anything else. He doesn't, he doesn't raise the son and then bring the son and say, hey, don't weep. No, he walks straight up to the woman and says, don't weep. And then goes and does the miracle. Why? He's making the point here that the situations in our lives are not solved by circumstantial changes. They're solved by Christ coming into them. He says to her, do not weep because he is here. And where Jesus is, there is hope. And there is an idea that you are no longer alone and helpless. Imagine you put yourself in this woman's shoes and all you've been thinking about is is the hopelessness that you find yourself in. And a man walks up to you that you've never met, never seen, and looks you in the eyes and says, do not weep. Not in a scolding tone, but in a gentle, loving, compassionate way. And she looks into Christ's eyes and she sees deep wells of love for her. And in that moment, she sees that God loves her and sees her. And in the midst of that, there's this aura around Christ of his power. That here is the man that can raise the dead. Here is the man that is over all. Here is the man that reigns in heaven above. And he says to her, do not weep. And after he says that, uh, Alistair Begg phrases are really nice. He says, he holds the tragic progression to the grave. And Jesus walks past this woman. She would have been in front. The word, by the way, beer, uh, we don't know what that means. Uh, sorry, we wouldn't know what that means today. Um, what it is, is back then in Jewish culture, um, they didn't put a, the body in, in, a, in like a coffin and cover it up or even leave it open. They put it on like a platform and people would um, hold this platform and the body would just be lying on top of like a kind of like a plank. And there's this whole progression that in the Jewish culture as well, uh, they would have had widows like and mourners. So they would have paid people who were professional mourners to come. So they'd have been crying and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus, and, and sorry, and the last thing would be the woman would be kind of leading that progression. She'd be at the front of this column and this crowd. And so she, he, he says to her, do not weep. And he walks past her and he puts his hand on the beer and everything stops. Now that's a no-no in Jewish culture as well. You don't touch something that's got death involved with it. And Jesus in, in the Jewish law would need to go off and cleanse himself and do the purity rituals and all this kind of stuff. And yet it's interesting, isn't it? That if we touched it, the death makes us unclean. Yet because Jesus touches it, the beer is made clean. And he walks up to us and you can imagine just this silence. What on earth is this guy doing? Who is he? And everything stops. And he says, young man, I say to you, arise, get up. And this this young man sits up and begins to speak. And Jesus in his power, through just the power of his word, has raised the dead. There is no one else like this in the world, in this universe. There is no one that has true compassion, full compassion, and also at the same time, 
full power to help, to do what needs to be done. There's no one else. You could go to someone that's got compassion, like a friend or a family member. They can't change the situation. You could go to a government maybe and ask them. They don't have the compassion. And here we find both in the same moment. Young man, I say to you, get up. Jesus has compassion and power. We see as we go through the gospels that Jesus continues to do this that the situations he can't stop his heart from having compassion, that his urge is just to help and to help and to help and to help. And in Acts, it says he just does good and he does good. And we see ourselves in these stories, these people who are in desperate need, we see ourselves in this. We see that uh, we too have needs. We recognize that as she felt hopeless, there are situations in our lives in which we feel hopeless And we recognize because of our sin and because of our weakness, there's nothing we can do about it. We don't have the power to change our lives. And if we've been really honest, we don't deserve this compassion either. We don't deserve it. Why should God help us? What do we give to him? So often we give half-hearted worship, lazy attitudes. We prioritize other things. We don't deserve his compassion. And yet what do we see in the gospel is that the one who had compassion, the one that always helped and always changed, he was left helpless and alone and forsaken on a cross. When he needed it, he didn't get it because of us in our place. He went to the cross so that we who are helpless can find help. We who are powerless can know the power of God. The ultimate act of compassion is the cross. For although in this situation for this widow, he takes her son, raises him to life and changes that situation so much more than at the cross because of Christ's compassion that he went there. It's deeper than just our circumstances change now. It's that we change. Our heart changes and he says, I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give my spirit to you. And you are now mine. You are in me. We find everything we need. And equally, we see the greatest act of power in history in that three days later, he rose himself from the dead. And so in the cross, we see the, and the cross and the resurrection, we see this ultimate example of compassion and power together. In one moment, there's something to be asked for. Okay, Jesus here rocks up, heals the widow, solves the situation, saves this woman's life. And yet like there are situations in our lives where that hasn't happened. There's, there's a delay. Why is he not doing it? We keep asking, we keep asking, we keep asking and nothing's happening. That's a very real question to have and it's a very good question to have. In this situation, did Jesus heal the son before he died? No. Did he know about the son's problem before he died? Yes. He waited. He waited till he was dead to raise him back to life. Jesus can heal today 
He has the power to do it. He has the compassion to do it. He has the desire to do it, but sometimes he waits. And we don't always know, but we know that his ways are not our ways. And that's tough sometimes, a tough pill to swallow. But we do know and we do long for the day that when he comes back, he has said there will be no more pain, no more weeping. And so the situations that you're going through in your life, as Christ sees you and knows you and loves you, and he waits to change that circumstance that you're in, no, he will not delay forever. A day will come when fully everything is made new, everything is made right. Our response, how do we respond to this? I don't know if you noticed this when you were reading, uh, when we were reading, strangely, uh, we don't really see how the woman responds, nor do we see how the son responds. Um, Luke, as he records his gospel, doesn't really seem to, to be bothered about that as much. Do you see what he does want us to notice? Uh, Verse 16, fear seized them all and they glorified God saying a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Luke focuses on the crowd. Luke focuses on the crowd. How do they respond? How do we respond as a group to this kind of story? First off, he notes these two things. Fear seized them all and they glorified God. There's something to be said that as you encounter Christ, the first step that you should uh, realize is his greatness and your lowliness, his power and your weakness. And their response here is fear, not like being scared, but like this awe and reverence, the fear of the Lord. That is how we should respond to as we read this passage. If you don't know the Lord, if you've not chosen to follow him and you've never known Christ for yourself, you need to turn in reverence and awe and say to him, you must do this. I am weak, you are strong. I am wrong, you are right. I am a great sinner, you are a greater savior. We must. And it's interesting as they glorified God They say a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. They nail the second one, but the first one's not quite right. A great prophet, Jesus is not a prophet. Uh, He is God himself. And although they don't quite understand that and they don't see that we do today. And so we know that he is in fact God. And when they say God has visited his people, it is actually like God has visited his people, not through a prophet, like God is, is here. And that should just lead us to glory. I mean, the songs we sang earlier, isn't it wonderful when we get to sing of these truths? You know, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. And that should be an instinct for us to thank him and to praise him for what he's done. And then I want to focus on this and I'll finish with this. This idea that the report spread, uh, the crowd's natural response to seeing Christ's miraculous power is to tell other people. It's like, that's just what they did. How could you not? How could you not? 
And yet if we're being really honest, when we look at ourselves, do we? Do we spread it with such urgency of like, oh my word, there is a God who loves you, who can help you, has the power to save you. Is that something that we urgently want to do? When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When was the last time that you told someone that they can find salvation in Christ? It's a tough question. It's a tough question. Because we're being honest for, for us so often, it's just not at the forefront of our minds. The reason is, it's not because you don't know enough and it's not because you're not good enough at like evangelizing. It's not because you, you need to study more or practice more. It's, not, it's none of that. None of that's the reason. The reason is, and I've been, so, oh, I've been so challenged by this this week, that we don't have so often compassion on those who need it. John Stott says, the truth is that there are such things as Christian tears and too few of us ever weep them. As a church, our battle cry, our rallying call is the love and compassion of Christ. We have to pray for this. If there's one thing you do after this service today, pray that God transforms and sanctifies your heart to have more compassion as he does, that we see through his eyes, the world that we live in, see through his mind and know his thoughts towards those who are in need, the people in our lives that are struggling. We know of it, that we have more and more compassion for them. If we have compassion, we will do it because how could we not? And this is what we see with Christ. Remember, as we fail at this, and we stumble our way through the Christian life, that Christ has shown us the greatest compassion at the cross, but will continue to show us compassion as well. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's not an angry boss. He is a gentle and loving savior. And he is the one who has the power to change our hearts, to do this. And so we must pray for it. Praise Christ for his compassion on this world and on us and praise him for his power. Let me pray. Father, your son is magnificent. There is no one like you. There is no heart like yours. There's no strength like yours. Father, as we read this story of Jesus raising this widow, sorry, raising the son of this widow, we thank you that you're the same today as you were then. What a glorious savior you are. May we respond to you with praise and reverence and awe. And Father, for our church this morning, as we are in the midst of a broken world with hurting people, helpless people, 
Father, pour out your compassion on our hearts that we too have compassion for those around us. That through this church, people find hope. People are made alive. That they know you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.